Hello and welcome to Landscape Photography World, the podcast for everyone passionate about landscape photography. I'm Grant Swinburne and I'll be your host on this show, talking to landscape photographers about their motivations, likes and dislikes. Have you heard that the inaugural Landscape Photography World Awards is now open for entries? Early bird entry is available now at a discounted fee until September 30, 2022. Head to landscapephotographyworldawards.com to find out all the details and how to enter. There's some amazing prizes to be won and I'll be publishing a book and a calendar with the top images at the end of the competition, so there's plenty to look forward to. Entries close on November 30, 2022, so there's plenty of time to get your entry sorted, but if you want to get into the early birds, do it now. I'd also like to thank the judges who have agreed to work with me and be a big part of the awards. Deb Clark, Victoria Hark, Kieran Stone and William Patino. I certainly couldn't make this competition a reality without their support. Arwen Levinson is a Las Vegas-based landscape photographer known to capture some very compelling photography that depicts nature in its most raw and ethereal form. She's devoted her time to capturing not only perfectly timed photos of our world, but also the feeling of awe you get when you experience those moments of wonder in real time. Arwen was born in Massachusetts and studied computer science at the University of Illinois before finding herself in Las Vegas. One day on a road trip through the country to help her sister move to Los Angeles, Levinson found herself driving through the mountains in Colorado where she felt immediately inspired by nature and the views of the mountains. She picked up her first camera not long after and found herself wandering around the landscape trying to capture as much of the land surrounding the northwest as she could. When she moved back to Illinois, she found herself in a city with very minimal landscape opportunities, but a work trip that took her all the way to India, where she got the chance to visit the Himalayas, would rekindle her passion for photography again. We discuss how she came to see landscapes around her as her old friends that she can revisit many times over, as well as her love for capturing the unusual and astronomical events that can be seen in the northern skies, along with much, much more. I hope you enjoy the show. Hi, Arwen. Welcome to Landscape Photography World. How are you going? Good. I'm doing great today. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. Uh, Whereabouts are you? You're uh, in the US? Yeah, I live in Las Vegas. Okay. Nice and warm there recently. Yes, we had a heat wave. Now it's back to normal uh, temperature. Actually, uh, at mid-September, it starts getting pretty nice into October, the temperature. So... Yeah, well, I think we're getting all your rain over here at the moment because uh, it's uh, it, we're, we're about to go into our third La Nino in, in a row, which uh, means the, the the west coast of the US and uh, South America tends to be rather dry and the east coast of Australia tends to be rather wet. So we're, oh, uh, I see. Yeah, yeah, we've had the, what is it, La Nina, whatever yeah, it is. You get La Nina when we get La Nina and vice versa. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh yeah, it's been been pretty wild here with uh floods and all the rest of it, whereas you're in uh in real bad drought and um you know, dam levels are low and all that sort of thing. So it's uh it, it, it's looking a bit uh looking a bit weird, I think, the weather recently. Yeah, but we have had a lot of rain this summer, actually, which is kind of unusual. Okay. Um, Even Death Valley National Park, which is only a couple hours away from Las Vegas, got flooded like three times this summer. Okay. Yeah. 
that's amazing. So why don't we start talking about photography? Because that's, I think, what people are listening for. So how did you get started? Why did you get started? What, uh, what drew you to landscapes and uh, astro? Okay. Um, well, it's kind of a long story, um, but I'll try and make it concise. I have been doing it on and off for a while, actually. Uh, I grew up in the Midwest of the U.S., which is kind of a flat landscape. Mm -hmm. And when I was in college, I had I was a computer science major and I had the opportunity to intern at some companies out west. So uh, the first one was actually Microsoft. And so I was in cool. Illinois and I drove from Illinois to Seattle um, and I uh, chose to drive on the on the 70, the I-70, because it yep. had a lot of like national parks and things like that. And so you drive pretty flat for a while and then you hit Colorado past Denver and mm -hmm. the mountains just are magnificent and so yeah. as soon as I saw them I fell in love and I mean I had never seen mountains like that wow. before yeah. and so that's what first kindled my interest in landscape and landscape photography and so when I graduated from college, I moved to Portland, Oregon, because I wanted to be, you know, around beautiful landscapes and mountains. And I got my first camera. It was long. Well, my first SLR, I should say. Sure, I had a sure. point and shoot camera for a long time, but it was before digital. Um, so I got the SLR and I tried to go every weekend and take pictures when I wasn't working. And um, I even took a photography class and I learned to develop my film, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. And so I was pretty into it um, at that point, uh, you know, as a hobby. Mm -hmm. But then life, you know, makes changes and I ended up moving back to the Midwest and I kind of oh. gave it up for a while. Um, and it was probably like 2010 or 2011, many years later. Um, I started going to India for work. Um, I was a software developer. Yep. And um, it was then that I decided to pick up photography again. So at that point, I got a DSLR. And I tried street photography and, you know, all different photography because I wanted to capture what I saw in India. Sure, sure. But it just didn't really click for me like mm. landscape did. And so I started every time I would go to India for work, I would take some time um, off as vacation time and go travel and see a different area. So finally, I went to the Himalayas. Yeah, and yeah. that's where it, my love for landscape photography was rekindled again. Um, so ever since then, I had it as a hobby and I would go out and take as many photos as I could. And then about five years ago, we moved from L.A. to Las Vegas. And part mm -hmm. of the agreement when we moved is that I would stop working as a landscape, as a software developer, software developer yeah. and do landscape photography full time. So that's what I've been doing for the past five years. Cool. That's uh, that, that's a that's quite the journey. So I guess <laughs> there's a few things I want to chase down uh, there. One is you you mentioned uh when things weren't really clicking with you and then as you said you went to the Himalayas and it, it started to click and 
you know, obviously the Himalayas are, are going to give you that spectacular landscape. I guess what is it about that and when was it that you sort of started to say, okay, this is starting to go a little bit beyond just documenting what you see and moving into, you know, creating art as opposed to, you know, just, okay, here's, here's a nice picture of a nice scene, you know, because anyone can turn up to the Himalayas and take a pretty good shot of, you know, some spectacular scenery. But turning that into art is a different shape and form of, you know, what you're doing. So when did that start to click for you? Right. And for me, it's kind of the difference, I would say, between like a snapshot and mm -hmm. like landscape photography that's art. Yeah. And honestly, I don't have any photos from the Himalayas that I consider better than a snapshot because, you know, that's when I was first getting into it again. Yeah, yeah. Um, Everyone hates their early work. <laughs> <laughs> so I think... Um, Probably on my third visit, I went to this place in the Himalayas called Spitty Valley, mm -hmm. and I actually took an astrophotography workshop, and that was one of my first workshops that I had taken. Yeah. And it was at that point that I kind of started thinking about um, being more intentional about my photography and planning it and yeah. thinking about what is it that I really want to capture in mm. my photos and how can I compose it in a way that, you know, makes it a more striking photo. And so I think that was probably in like 2014. Sure. Um, and I think at that point is when I really started thinking about, um, you know, creating more to my photo than what I would call a snapshot. Mm, okay. So I guess what is what is it about that uh, that really drew you to it? You know what what are you, what are you motivated by? Is it is it the scenery itself, or is it that intentional uh, desire to create some art? You know, originally it was the scenery. That's what got me started. Mm -hmm. But now I think it's more when I am able to plan something out and then actually go and create what I kind of had in my mind. I mean, it's not always exactly what was in my mind, but yeah. similar to what I'm thinking of or imagining. Um, it's just the feeling that I get when I am able to actually create that. Mm. Um, I think that really inspires me and keeps me going now. Yeah, great. So it sounds like it's important for you to kind of have goals in your photography. Um, is that true? And if so, what is your goal, I guess? Right. I mean, I guess you could call it a goal. Um, I, I mean, there might like be small to... goals. It might not be a, right. an end goal for ev everything that you do. So what I have is I have a huge list of like places I want to get a photo that will really capture how I envision that place to be shown. Mm. So it, in some of them are like multiple different ones from the same place, you know, that I have in my head, but I have a big list and I keep it mostly in Gaia GPS because I put in pins and I put like the conditions and everything that I would 
like to capture at that right. place. Um, and whenever I'm going out to take photos, I explore new places. And then if something, you know, inspires me, I'll add it to the list. Mm. So I would say that's kind of my goal is to complete that list, which is a huge list. So I don't know if I'll ever complete it. Yeah, I know, um, I, but I know I'll never my... complete mine, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try. <laughs> so I guess in, in terms of that, do you, and and sounds like you do a fair amount of planning, do you look at the each uh, trip as a, or, you know, uh, photo that you're trying to get as a separate project, or are you trying to build a broader body of work around a theme and, or do you do both, you know, because some, there's no reason why you couldn't do both. Yeah, it's a little of both, but it's more that like when I go on a trip, I have a couple of goals, like photos that I want to get during yeah. that trip. And I don't always get all of them. So then I'll have to go back and do it again. But let's say I have three or four that I have in my head that I want to get on that trip. Mm. Then if I get one or two, it's pretty successful. Yeah, cool. <laughs> cool. <laughs> so what kind of planning goes into a trip? You know, obviously, you know, the further you go, the more you got to plan, but uh, what, what kind of trips are you doing? And, you know, are you trekking into uh, backcountry? Are you sort of staying close to road and rail networks and that sort of thing? How, how do you sort of plan what you're doing and, and, and where you go? Well, usually I don't go that far. Um, I mean, I go far, but within driving distance normally sure. is what I like to do. Once in a while, I'll take a longer trip. But for me, I really, my favorite photography is mostly within the states that border Nevada. So like I'll go to California or Utah or Arizona or um, Oregon and Idaho, there's a lot of great states that border Nevada. And actually yeah. one goal for this winter is to spend more time in Nevada itself. Um, but really, you know, eight hours of driving, maybe 14 if it's a longer trip than I'm going to Oregon. Mm. Um, I'm sorry, we need to start this over. <laughs> Can That's you okay. repeat the question? I completely forgot the question. <laughs> sure. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to remember what it is. What I might do uh, is is just reset. Uh, I'm sorry. I totally no, 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 lost no. It's my totally fine. It, it, it happens. Don't worry about it. Um, yeah, you, I think you asked me um, talking about when I go on a trip. Yeah. Okay. Well, where, where you go, but also uh, how how you plan for a trip. Okay, so if I start my answer over, can you That'll make it go from the question? Yeah. Okay, yeah. sorry about that. Okay, so <clears throat> I don't usually go that far. Um, once in a while, I will go on a, you know, an international trip. But the way I prefer to do my photography is to go to places that I'm more familiar with and that right. I've been before. So. I mostly go to the states that border Nevada. So I have Utah, Arizona, California, Oregon, and Idaho. I haven't spent a lot of time in Idaho, but in the other ones, I've spent a lot of time. Yeah. And so it's usually like, you know, between 
you know, maybe eight hour drive at the most. Mm -hmm. um, to Oregon, it's a little bit longer and I love Oregon. So I go there a lot. Um, <clears throat> but what I do is in my list of my goals for my photos, I also have like what time of the year it would be best or what yeah. I want to get in that photo as far as like flowers or fall colors or, you know, the season. Um, and so when I have time to go on a trip, I'll kind of look at the weather um, for the next few days because living in Nevada, it's really great. I can go in any direction mm -hmm. and there's something different to shoot. So I'll kind of look at the weather and see where it looks best for what I've envisioned. Um, and then I'll go in that direction and I'll try and get some of those photos that I have on my list. So I could have ones in the, some in the Eastern Sierra that I want to get, that's in California, that I want to get in summer and some that I want to get in winter and some that I want to get in fall. So if it's summer at the time, those will be the photos that go on my list mm -hmm. um, because it looks like it might be a good sunrise and I want to get you know, this spot at sunrise in summer. Um, so I kind of have that all planned out in advance. And then, you know, I go through all my options of, you know, what might make a good photo. And then I look at the weather forecast and the conditions and I decide which one I'm going to do the next day. Yeah, okay. You mentioned uh, the way that, you know, creating the art makes you feel. Is that a feeling that you get in the field or is it a feeling that you get after you've completed everything and you're happy with the, the, the final output? Both. It's totally both. So when I get the photo in the field that I think is going to um, meet my expectations, it feels great. And yes. then when I get no, it on the computer it, yeah. and I edit it and I get the final thing, it feels even better. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> it's kind of both. And for me, it's actually not always only one photo. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, I will, um, you know, sometimes blend exposures and, you know, things like that. So, um, you know, for those ones, the feeling comes more after it's been edited. Yeah. But if I get the shot, like, I know it, you know, yeah. like, sometimes I get one that I don't know it till after I edit it. But there's those shots that you get and you know it in the field. And then the feeling is just great right then. Cool. So getting into the field, get into the, I guess, the, the, the way you bring about your compositions and the way that you... and. and you know, obviously not uh, trying to get into all of the details of one particular photo or anything, but in, in general, what are, you, what are you looking for and how are you working your way through the landscape when you get into the field? Because, you know, obviously you've got a bit of a picture about what it is that you've got in mind. You know, it might be a lake with a, a mountain behind it and you're getting a, a reflection. So how are you then sorting out where do I stand, where do I set up, etc. What What is it that you're kind of doing to, to bring about the compositions that you're putting together? Right. Well, um, you know, I do hike a little bit, but I'm not like a big back 
backcountry, like backpacking type. Oh. So, you know, probably like a mile, a mile and a half, yep. you know, yep. one way would be the furthest I've hiked. So most of these places I've been to before. So like, for example, there's one location where I really like um, near far compositions. Those are my mm -hmm. favorite where I find something in the foreground and something in the background. Yeah. And I find those particularly challenging. And I think that's why I like them because, you know, not only do you have to find a nice organized pattern or something, you know, in the foreground, but it has to support whatever you find in the background. Yeah. And yeah. so it really adds another level of complexity and challenge to the photography, which I really enjoy a challenge. So right. I think that's why I enjoy it so much. Um, so like there's one place in particular where, you know, I know there might be mud cracks there. And yep. so I might want to photograph the mud cracks with this butte in the background, but they're only there sometimes, like they're not always there. So if I decided to go to that area on my trip, I'll go check to see if there's any there. Sure. And then I know whether that's something I could even consider. And it's a pretty big area. So, you know, I spend a few hours walking around and looking and there might be mud cracks, but not ones that I find particularly compelling or there might not be any, or they might have too many rocks jumbled into them and then I can't shoot it. Mm -hmm. So I'll go check all the places um, and maybe even some new places that I haven't been before. So I can add that to my list. Um, <clears throat> and then if I find something that I think is compelling I wait for the right conditions uh, yeah. to be able to shoot it. Um, so uh, another example is there's this shot in Utah um, with a butte and there's like this tree branch that I really like. And I'm so surprised it's been there for like more than a year. Every time I go there, it's exactly the same but yeah. I haven't gotten the conditions that I want to shoot yeah, it. Yeah. So like I have this shot in my head and it's a shot that I want and hopefully the tree branch doesn't disappear before I get it. <laughs> um, but you know, it's that kind of thing. Um, then sometimes I'll go somewhere and it'll be completely different, you know, than it was when I was mm -hmm. there before. So then I'll kind of search for something new you know, that I can shoot there as a foreground. Yeah. Um, so it really, you know, depends on uh, the situation. But, um, you know, I always like to find if it's something I've shot before and I've gotten the conditions that I really like, then the next time I'll try and find something new, you know, yeah. that yeah. will um, be another compelling composition that I'll like. Yeah, cool. What are you trying to communicate with your photography? You know, I think for me, um, well, first, it's the beauty of our Earth and the universe. But, mm -hmm. you know, I think every landscape photographer could say that. Um, and so for me, I think it's more, it's become more of communicating the story of these friends. So it's like, you know, I visit the same landscapes over and over and over, and they've become like old friends to yeah, me. Yeah. And even if it's a place I haven't been, now it's a new friend, and I'll keep probably keep going back there and getting to know it better. So it's kind of telling the story of these, you know, many friends that I've gathered, these landscapes. I really like that analogy. That's, that's fantastic. <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> 
How would you describe your style to somebody that's never seen you work? I usually describe it as dreamy, but realistic. So mm. I like, like if somebody would look at my photo and then they would go to the place, they should be able to recognize it. You know, I don't want to change it so much through my editing process that they wouldn't be able to recognize it. Yet I yeah. kind of like to give it like a dreamy, otherworldly feel. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they wouldn't, go there and you know it wouldn't have the feeling exactly that my photos have because I like them to be colorful and um you know I guess it's that otherworldly feel but they would be they should be able to recognize it so yeah, I say cool. dreamy yet realistic yeah cool how do you think that's developed over time from where you sort of started out doing more snapshot documentary sort of stuff into that dreamy how, how have you, when, when you look back across your, your older portfolio, how do you see that developing? And when was that sort of, when did the genesis, I guess, of that dreamy look come into things? Right. I really think it's only been the past few years, um, maybe like four years. I think it's when I really started focusing on, um, you know, doing photography full time, maybe a little bit before that. Um, but of course, it was gradual over time. And, you know, I'm just really attracted to like dramatic skies, whether it's a stormy sky or a sunset or sunrise or clouds, um, anything dramatic in the sky. And so I think that helped to lead to this dreamy feel because, you know, these would be the photos that I felt like. I got it. This is the photo I love because I got the landscape with a dramatic sky that complemented it. Sure. And so that led to kind of a colorful um, and helped me to achieve that dreamy feel. Mm -hmm. In terms of where that style is going, are you trying to extend or are you comfortable with where you're at? Is it something that you're you're experimenting with? Well, I would say that I like where I'm at, but I always am trying to push myself. So mm -hmm. one thing is for a long time, I was mainly only doing, you know, sunrise and sunset and astro. Yep. And now I've found myself more drawn to like stormy skies and rainbows yeah. and, you know, things like that. So that's something kind of new for me. Um, but it really does go into my whole style that I already have. It just extends it a little and it's helping me grow. Um, and it's hard. I mean, mm. I think it's harder to get good photos in those conditions, because not only do you need the stormy sky, I think, but you also need the light. So yeah. you're only going to get it like on the edge of a storm. Yeah. So, right. So it's another challenge, yeah. you know, to try and get that also. So I still love the sunsets and sunrises. Um, yeah, yeah. But here's a new thing now that I'm, you know, exploring and trying to capture. And so I'm sure after this, there'll be something else as well. Yeah, yeah, sure. 
Um, I want to talk a little bit about the uh, the lifestyle choice. You know, obviously moving to uh, Las Vegas, and as you said, part of the deal was you you got to go full time. Um, how is that sort of shaping in terms of building that into into a business? I'm assuming that's what you're trying to do with it, or is it is it still you know um, more on the amateur side of things? And by amateur, I don't mean in terms of the quality of the work, I mean, in terms of the, you know, the, the whether or not you're getting paid for it. Right. So the first few years, I was definitely just trying to improve and build my portfolio. Um, and since it's only been about five years that I've been doing it full time, that means it's only been a couple years that I've been building the business. Um, and so what I have done, you know, I thought I would do workshops like a lot of people do workshops. Um, and I have been doing private, like one-on-one -on -one workshops, mm -hmm. and I really do enjoy doing those. So I mostly do them in Death Valley because I have the permit to do it there. Yeah. Um, and also in a couple parts of Utah, I have a permit for it as well. And so um, I have been doing private workshops, and I really enjoy doing that. But I think probably the group workshops isn't for me. I tried doing that a um, couple times. And I think I just prefer the one-on-one -on -one where I can give the person full attention. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. also that it's kind of a shorter time period, you know, like just one sunset or astro or sunrise um, versus like, you know, a long group workshop. Mm. Um I've also been selling prints and then recently I've been selling NFTs. So that's yeah. another way that I've been able to monetize yeah, um, my photography. How, uh, you know, obviously people want to know, how's it going? Is it, uh, are you finding success or is it still something that you're, you're growing? I'm still growing it. Um, yeah. Probably I'd say, you know, at this point I'm like breaking even. <laughs> <laughs> money wise <laughs> um but i mean that's to be expected the first couple of years of running oh. a business so oh. i'm many, definitely... not many businesses make money in in year one <laughs> right <laughs> so i'm definitely still i feel successful yeah one of the things that uh, everybody wants to know and I, i'm not asking for specific numbers here but how do you price your work what goes into the thinking around your, your pricing both for your workshops but also for you know the the prints and nft sales right well for the workshops i think i'm pricing it a little bit on the low side still um because i feel like you know i'm just getting started and mm -hmm. so I'm not as big a name, um, but I do have a lot of valuable things to teach. And so I think that people who take workshops from me can really get a good deal um, yeah. because I think my pricing is very fair. And the places that I teach the workshops, I know so well. So if their goal is like to go to Death Valley, they've never been there before and they just want someone who can, you know, show them the best places to shoot that's one option but I really do enjoy the teaching so mm. I mean you know I want to help them find the composition you know that they if that's what they want to learn so it really is up to the person but um but I think that you know the price I priced my workshops a little bit lower but not you know like yeah, way not. undercutting 
just because, yeah. <laughs> right, <laughs> just because I'm getting started. And so, you know, then the prices will go up, you know, oh, as yeah. I do it more. And then for the prints, I just took the, <laughs> the prices that Smug Mug gave me and it's been going well. So <laughs> I'll just keep going with it. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. And for the NFTs, I try and price them similarly to the prints, except that I can only sell each photo once usually. Yeah. So it's a little bit higher um, than it would be for a print print that I could sell, you know, many of yeah. them. So yeah, most <laughs> photographers, particularly, you know, doing doing this on their own, the, the struggle is being not only the content producer so you, you've got the the production line of new content to create you've got then the production line of marketing to create um how do you juggle all of the balls that end up in the air when you when you uh, i guess trying to to run it as a business yeah it's really hard um and i'm not a very good marketer so that's something I'm working on. I've been reading books and, you know, trying to learn more about how to do that. Um, but luckily, I've grown a pretty good Instagram. So that's what I've gotten most of my workshop clients from. Okay. Um, yeah. And now on Twitter, I've gotten a few from there. Um, like I'm actually doing a workshop tomorrow uh in red rock canyon well not in red rock canyon because i don't have a permit for it but near yeah. red rock canyon i like to follow the rules so um but near red rock canyon um and that was someone from twitter uh who you know is just beginning with their camera so i'm yeah, going to teach yeah, them yeah. you know how to use the camera and stuff um so you know it's mostly it's been a little slow i think because i don't have those marketing skills, um, mm -hmm. but I'm learning and I think I'm doing better and it's picking up a little bit. Yeah, excellent, good to hear. <clears throat> what, I guess, could somebody expect in uh, one of your workshops in, in, in a one-on-one? -on -one? What, uh, what, what are you offering and what, what, are, they, what are they going to, to experience when, when they're with you? Right, so, you know, everything from like going to a location that you know, would lend itself to photography if they don't know mm -hmm. the area to, you know, finding a compelling composition and, you know, I'll let them try to find it and we'll talk about it and, you know, work together to find a composition. Um, and it really depends, like, if we're shooting into the sun, then I can teach them what I, you know, bracketing, like how I do that um, to get more dynamic skies. Um, and even, you know, I've done a lot of online workshops during COVID where I would teach them okay. how I plan and how I use the apps to look at the weather. Yep. Um, and that's something I love doing. Um, mm. Planning is actually one of my favorite parts, and I really enjoy teaching that. Um, so, and then, you know, I do astro as well. So, you know, how to focus on the star, what settings to use. Um, I don't really teach tracking yet because I'm just getting into tracking, but yeah. I teach how to get full detail in your foreground landscape when you're doing astro. So, yeah. I mean, you could use a blue hour blend or you could do a really long exposure at night, which is what I prefer to do to mm -hmm. get the light from the stars. Um, although it kind of depends on what my subject is, um, yeah. which I do, but 
in Astro, I would teach all of that. Um, and then, you know, if they want, we can do an online session afterwards to put it together and do the editing. Um, so, you know, I really talk to the person and, you know, figure out what it is that they want. If they're mm -hmm. more of a beginner, maybe they just want to learn, you know, how to use their camera and the exposure triangle, you know, and those kind of things. Um, but it's been more people who know how to use their camera, but they want to take that next step um, are most of the people I've had for workshops. Yeah, right. Okay, cool. Where you live sounds like influences where you shoot to a certain degree. Um, one of the things I'm really interested in is that link between uh, location opportunity as well, but also uh, technique. And do you find that where you, where you live and where you go to shoot influences how you shoot? Oh, it definitely does. I mean, um, you know, I probably, the desert probably wouldn't be my favorite location if, to shoot if I didn't live where I do. But sure. like I said, the more I get to know a place like an old friend, the more I fall in love with it and the better photos I think I can get of it. But if I'm in the desert, I'm going to be looking for completely different things than if mm. I'm shooting a seascape. Yeah, so absolutely. in the desert, if I have great clouds, I might do a long exposure um, for the clouds. And I'm probably going to have to focus stack because I'm going to get really close to those mud cracks or that cactus or whatever it is that, yep. you know, I'm using as a foreground element. But then if I'm at the sea, you know, at the ocean, I'm not going to be focus stacking because you've got waves coming in and currents of water. And mm -hmm. I'm going to be using a, you know, maybe like uh, half a second um, yeah. exposure, you know, to get the lines in the water. Whereas if I'm somewhere in the mountains at a lake, then I'm going to use a different technique um, because I'm going to want to use a longer exposure to smooth yep. the lake and enhance the reflections. Um, so it really depends on where I am and where I live. I have all of those things mm. within like, you know, a five hour drive. I can go yep. to the desert. I can go to the mountains. I can go to the ocean. So, you know, that's one reason I love living in Vegas for landscape mm -hmm. photography is um, there's so many options and I get to use all those different techniques um, depending on where I'm shooting. Yeah, yeah, great. You mentioned, you know, the, the old friends that you've sort of gained from these locations. Is there any one particular one that just keeps drawing you back? And if so, why? Yeah, well, there's actually two that I'll mention to sure. you. Um, the first is Death Valley National Park. And the main reason for that is because I live close to it. Um, it's only a two hour drive away. So yeah. I don't go during the summer. It's too hot <laughs> for me. <laughs> <laughs> but probably starting in October, I'm really I'm dying to get back there. I'm like yeah. starting in October, it should start cooling off a little bit. But the thing I love about it, and actually, it's kind of funny because the first time I went to Death Valley, I did not think it was beautiful at all. I was wow. just like, what is this? You know. <laughs> but the more I go there, the more I love it. And what I love about it is that it's always changing. Like, yeah. it's probably one of the places that changes the most. Um, we've had a particularly bad couple of years because there hasn't been any rain. 
So mm. it's been kind of the same and it's been kind of corroded, like, you know, things just aren't very pristine and nice. Um, but there was a ton of rain there this summer. So I'm dying to get back there in October and see how things look. You know, I've yeah. got a huge list of places that I need to check out and see how do they look after these storms. Yeah. So I'm so excited about that. And that's one thing that makes me love photographing there is that I never know what to expect. You know, even at a place that I've been to 10, 20 times before, I never know what's going to be there. Um, and I love that. And then <laughs> the other location that is my favorite, and it's the furthest one I go to regularly is the Oregon coast and the yeah. Southern Oregon coast. Okay. Um, and I just, I have to go there at least twice a year, maybe more as yeah. much as I can get there because I just, not only do I love photographing there, I just love being there. Like yeah. if I could move somewhere and live in one place, that is where I would live. Well, that, that um, was actually going to be my, my next question. Is that <laughs> if you could retire anywhere that you've shot, where would it be? So, sounds like we found it. <laughs> yeah, so it would be the Southern Oregon coast for sure. And the other great thing about there is that you can also get to the mountains in Oregon. And so, um, you know, I prefer the coast there, which is interesting because I was... Mm brought into photography with mountains but now I actually kind of prefer shooting on the coast over the mountains and I think it's because you know the waves are always changing and you can always find a way to make the waves into a new composition right. um, and the flows of the water um, and then it's also the challenge like you know the Oregon coast the marine layer is coming in all the time yeah. So getting good conditions is hard, but when you get it, it's just that great feeling. Yeah, yeah, great. <laughs> What's the most memorable experience you've had while taking, taking photos? Um, you mean like one specific shoot that's memorable? To sure. Or, okay. Yeah. You know, could, 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 could be a horror story, could be the most amazing thing so, you've ever um, seen. Be and it's not it's not a particularly tough location to get to um but it actually ended up being my my favorite photo that i've taken um until now and it's at pfeiffer beach on the california coast um in big sur and um you know, all the photographers in this area know that if you go like two weeks before or two weeks after the winter equinox, you know, between two weeks before and two weeks after, you can get the sun shining through the keyhole in the yep. arch yep. that's there. Um, <clears throat> and so, you know, I had tried so many times to go there. And, you know, one thing that I'm always looking for is to get something that's uniquely my style. Like, I don't want to go there and be in a line with 20 other photographers far back from the arch, yep. you know, taking a photo because I'm not going to be able to get the photo that's the one that I feel like is really my photo and really unique it's, to me in the never, way I've envisioned fun. it. It's also never fun jostling your, your tripod -like legs over one another as well. You know? <laughs> right. And so most times when I've gone there during that time, it's been like that. 
you right. know, like so many people there and you just can't get the photo that you want. And so this one time I was going with my family um, because we were going to go for Christmas and visit some friends who live near San Francisco. And to get there, we decided to drive up the coast. And this was after I had tried many times to photograph this phenomenon. And like I said, there were always all these people. So while we were driving, it was raining, pouring rain, a huge mm -hmm. storm the whole time. And that's a little iffy in that area because they oh. have landslides and, you know, a lot of times the road gets ruined and stuff. So it was kind of a fun adventure with the family, you know, to be driving through this big storm on the in Big Sur. And then we get there and I didn't know this, but apparently the road that goes to that beach is known that it floods. Like mm -hmm. if there's a big storm, it'll flood. Um, and so we got, you know, partway down the road and the road was completely flooded. But luckily, we have a truck that has very high clearance. Um, yeah. And some another truck had actually just gone through before us. So we just drove through the flood. Um, and there was hardly anyone on the beach. I was the only there were a few other people there, but I was the only photographer. And just as I started shooting, this cloud started clearing, and the sun came out. And it was like one of the, you know, like, when a storm is just clearing and you get yeah. that perfect light. And for a while, I didn't think I would get enough sun to get it through the middle of mm -hmm. the keyhole. But just in time, the sun came through and I got the shot and just everything about it was magical that I was the only person there. The tide was exactly right that I could get it wrapping around the waves. And, you know, I had, uh, wrapping around the rocks, I mean. And, you know, I had planned that it would be the right tide when I got there. And yeah. also I had seen on the weather that it looked like the storm might be clearing right around sunset. But when it actually turns out and comes together, you know, it's like I said, it's just that great yeah, feeling. <laughs> <laughs> so... Moving from there, the, the most wonderful experience you've had. What, what about some horror stories? Everyone has them. <laughs> well, I try not to remember them. <laughs> <laughs> Can't say I blame you. <laughs> um, this one is hard for me. I mean, there's so many times that I don't get the photo and it doesn't work out and, sure. or I you know, almost get hit by lightning or, you know, I don't know, but I just can't think of a specific, um, That's okay, no you problem. know, horror story to tell you. Well, actually, I do have one. Actually, I am thinking of one now. Oh. So um, this is, <laughs> this is when I went to North Lake um, in the Eastern Sierras, and it actually wasn't that long ago. And I actually did get great conditions, like the conditions exactly that I wanted. But right before I was going to get the shot, my camera fell off the tripod Ouch. Um, yeah. and landed in the lake. So, and at that time, I only had one camera. Now I have two in case something like that happens. So yep. that was not a fun time at all. No. The camera didn't work and I didn't, didn't get the shot. It didn't survive? No. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> What about I mean, I did have insurance, so that was fine, but yeah. um, I wasn't able to get the shot and I had to cut the trip short because I yeah. didn't have a camera. Yeah. So, never, never fun when you uh, lose a camera. 
Right. I mean, that's one reason now I carry two. Oh, actually, I have another interesting story I should tell you um, that's a horror story. Um, the most recent time I went to the Himalayas, um, I had my Really Right Stuff tripod and I kept it with me. We were in this big van, kind of like a bus, mm -hmm. um, because I was with other photographers. And I kept the tripod with me most of the time. But then someone said, oh, you should put the tripod up above so that we have more space, um, you know, down here where we're sitting. Yep. And, you know, for some reason, I kind of knew that wasn't a good idea, but I put it up there anyway. And then when we got to the first location, I mean, I had gone all the way to India and I only had one tripod. Um, <clears throat> the ball head, all the, it's kind of an interesting ball head. It has all these washers inside it and a screw oh, that holds them in place. The screw fell out. Oh, no. All these washers were all over the bus. And my my ball head didn't work at all. And like we're in the Himalayas, you can't get another ball head. Yeah, Nobody has, you know, a spare one that they can <laughs> give me. And so we ended up searching the whole bus. We found all these washers. We figured out how to put it back together. And it just didn't quite work. Like it just <laughs> wouldn't get tight enough. So we searched one more time. There was one washer missing. Uh, put that one in totally fixed well and it done. worked <laughs> and my trip was saved <laughs> what one of the things you know you talked about uh the big sur experience and uh you know loads loads of photographers being there I, over the time that you've been uh taking photos have you noticed a, a difference or a change in the volume of traffic in some of these locations? I have. Actually, the place that's actually most noticeable to me is Arches National Park. I mean, national parks are always um, busy, but it's one of the places where I had gone a lot when I first started taking photos and yeah. it wasn't nearly as busy. You know, that was like 15, 20 years ago, um, yeah. you know, before I was really taking great photos, but I just really liked to go there and take photos. Um, but it definitely wasn't as busy as it is now. I think most places I feel that way about, but a lot of them I didn't start going to until like the past five years. So I haven't really seen as much of a difference, but yeah. that one for sure, um, I feel like it's, a lot more photographers. And what about the, I, I guess, I've, I've heard stories from other photographers about sort of detrimental effects the volume of people, you know, hitting some of these locations is having, you know, where, you know, there's erosion or there's litter or, or, or whatever. Have you experienced much of that in, in your travels? Yeah, I mean, I have. Um, there's places that I like to photograph uh, particularly like the mud cracks and things like that, that have just kind of gotten destroyed, you know, mm -hmm. over time, but luckily they get refreshed and then I find new ones, you know, and that's fine. Um, but I definitely have seen things like that. And the mud cracks aren't like, I mean, I don't feel that bad about them getting destroyed because they will get refreshed. It's yeah. not like, you know, flowers, if they trample on them, they may never grow again. Yeah, yeah. One thing that's particularly saddening is, um, I don't think that's a word, that's particularly sad is um, the area, there's an area in Utah where there used to be these beautiful flowers, and then they opened it up to ATV 
travel. So now there's not any flowers there. So, you know, that kind of thing is sad. And, you know, you feel like, um, you know, it's kind of a shame, but things happen. Yeah, definitely. What, What have you learned about the world through photography? I mean, I think I've definitely become much more observant and detail-oriented as far as, you know, learning to look for compositions and to pay attention to the little details. And so I think that's carried over to my life in general. Um, I'm definitely much more observant than I used to be. Um, And also, I think it's given me more patience, like... um, you know, the patience to keep trying and to wait Mm. for the conditions to become just right um, is definitely something that photography has instilled in me. And then it's also pushed me out of my comfort zone. Like there's things that I've done for photography that I probably wouldn't have done if it weren't for it. You know, like hiking further than I would or going deeper in the waves up on the rock than I otherwise would have. You know, things that can sometimes scare me a little bit. But, um, but, you know, it's um, kind of good, I think, to get outside of your comfort zone sometimes. Oh, absolutely. I think uh, stepping outside your comfort zone is an important part of growth and uh, it certainly helps. I know it helps me, you know, uh, in terms of, you know, going places. Um, you know, I climbed up a, it's not, we don't have mountains like you guys do. So, um, but I, I climbed <laughs> up a mountain the uh, the other day, actually. And uh, it's only about 600 odd metres, but um, it was very steep. So it was, uh, was something that, you know, took a bit of effort, but, the views at the top, well worth it, you know, and that, that's the thing. Right. You kind of got to get out of that, uh, you know, it, it, taking the easy route or just, you know, you know, going to somewhere that's always familiar to you to, uh, you know, to, to get out there and uh, extend yourself, I think. Yeah, and then the other thing, like camping, I had never really camped um, and mm-hmm. definitely not alone, um, you know, until I started doing photography. Um, you know, so just a lot of things that, you know, it's really motivated me to do that I otherwise wouldn't have. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, talking a bit, you talked a bit about the, the process in the fields and uh, setting up. Um, you know, you've, you've got the shot. Let's talk a little bit about processing. I don't want, you know, all of your, all of your processing secrets or anything, but uh, are you the type of photographer that gets home, gets straight onto the computer and starts editing or do you let it uh, sort of gestate for a while before you get into it? I let it gestate for a while and it's not always intentional, but I just yeah. have so many things to do that um, sometimes it takes me a while to get around to edit it. And then also I kind of have in my mind what I want in the end but sometimes Mm -hmm. I end up starting over a few times so that makes it take even longer you know for me to get to a final photo yeah yeah what are you doing in terms of processing obviously you know you mentioned focus stacking uh and you know are are you doing 
multiple layers, lots of composites, lots of work in Photoshop, or is it, you know, largely in Lightroom or a combination of the two? So uh, the more I get into editing, the less I use Lightroom. I mainly just use Lightroom, you know, to organize the photos mm -hmm. and, you know, I adjust a few things at the beginning, but then I bring it into Photoshop and I do do most of my editing there. And I wouldn't say I en end up with a ton of layers, maybe like 10 to 20 would yeah. be, you know, a normal amount of layers that I would have. And it really depends on what I'm doing. Like, um, you know, if I'm shooting into the sun, then I usually bracket five shots, uh, two yeah. stops. And, you know, I'll blend those together. Um, and so there'll be some layers for that. And then, you know, if I have the light on a mountain and then color in the sky, I might blend those. So there's some yeah. more layers. Um, and I do do a little bit of like adding light and light glow to some of my photos, although not all. Um, yeah. So that adds, you know, some more layers. Um, and uh, for the Astro, I always have one, well, actually at least 20 for the sky that I stack to reduce noise. Yeah. And yeah. then, but I use Starry Landscape Stacker for that. So that's not in right. Photoshop. Okay. Um, and then I'll have, you know, maybe one to five long exposures, like five to seven minute exposures to get the light from the stars for the landscape. So I have to blend all of that. And then yeah. if I really want something in the foreground, you know, that I'm close to, then I'll also sometimes even blend in blue hour for that, because it's really hard to focus stack, um, when you're doing a five to seven minute <laughs> exposure yep. to get enough light from the stars. Um, yeah, yeah. So, you know, the Astro, I think, can often have more layers and take a little longer um, than my other photos. Yeah, processing Astro is a, uh, a, a dark art in and of itself, I think, uh, as opposed <laughs> to just your normal blending, etc. But um... Right. You know, I mean, I, I do know people that uh, you know try to try to get as much as they can. You know, they've they've got a uh, a sensor that can handle you know uh, high ISO really well and and that sort of thing. Try and get it all in one, but uh, you know, it's uh, it's a big ask. I think of a lot of equipment, even even today's world. You know. Right. And I think some people, you know, might light it up like with the low level lighting and that yep. kind of stuff, but. For me, I just like the more natural look of, yeah, you yeah. know, getting the light from the stars. That's my preferred way to do mm -hmm. it. Um, and I particularly like to have water in my photos. So, you know, I like to get the reflection of the stars or yeah. at least the color um, from the reflection if the water is not still. Yeah. Um, or even just kind of a light glow from the reflection. And I find that actually capturing that um, leads to a much more natural look. So mm -hmm. I like to capture it, but I'll do maybe a longer exposure for the reflection. And yeah. so then I'll have to blend those, you know, in post. Sure, sure. So how long are you spending in post? Do you, you know, hour, hour, three hours? It really depends on the photo, but some yeah. of them I would say. I mean, Astro is obviously going to be, be a little bit longer, but. Uh... 
Some, I would say, take much more than that, because I would say on average, maybe it's three to four hours. But then sometimes I start over many times because it just doesn't, it's not at all what I had thought I wanted. And so I need to start again. So then, you know, it ends up taking a lot longer or, you know, I'll go back and look at it the next day and I'll be like, well, I just need to change this. And then that ends up another three hours. So, you know, it can end up taking quite a while. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> no, I, I, I know exactly what you mean. <laughs> um, do you sort of get to a point in your editing and then park it and come back to it with fresh eyes? Or do you sort of try and do it all in one extended, uh, you know, editing session? I mean, I try to get to what I like as a final photo in one session, but then I'll always look at it again, like the next day. And like I was saying, sometimes I'll decide that it needs more editing or that I need to start over, but sometimes I'll like it just the way it is. And then that's the end of it. Yeah. Do you print any of your work yourself or do you use a, a service? I've been using um, Bay Photo, which is in the San Francisco area, um, but I'm thinking I might switch to um, Nevada Art Printers because they're in oh. Las Vegas. Um, so I keep meaning to go over there and you know talk to them, but I haven't gotten around to it. But no, I don't really print it myself. I use the services. Yeah. Cool. So. Have you ever hit a creative wall? Oh, yes. <laughs> um, you know, it happened to me after the pandemic. So, you know, in March of the pandemic, um, you know, everything kind of shut down and I didn't go out and shoot. And I was dying to get out again and shoot. And then finally in May, I went with my kids when they were done with school and we went for the whole summer and I didn't take any photos. And I'm like, I totally wanted to get out and shoot. And it was just like, I don't know. I couldn't get back into it. Mm. Um, and that was when uh, the Comet, I'm linking on the name, that was when the Comet yeah, was there. I, and I so I missed I out on the Neowise. Comet. And I yeah. knew guys, and I had all these opportunities. I could have gotten like a great shot, you know, a yep. great landscape with the Comet. And I just, it was that creative block. Like I just couldn't oh. get back into it. So then finally, um, I had had a workshop that I was going to take with Mark Adamus and I, it had been postponed, you know, a bunch of times because mm-hmm. of the pandemic. And then finally I took that workshop. And so I was forced to just, you know, start taking photos again. And then I snapped out of it and I was back into, it. and I think now I know when I go through those creative blocks, I just have to force myself to go out and take photos and then it'll just come back. You know, I'll just get over it. Yeah. So I haven't really had another one since then. But yeah, Cool. What do you see as the biggest challenge facing photographers right now? I think it's getting your work seen. Like I said, I'm not good at marketing. And I don't know, maybe some are really good at it. But for me, I'd say that's, you know, a big challenge is mm. being able to market yourself and get your work seen and um get yourself out there there's a lot of photographers it's uh you know competitive marketplace so definitely i think that would be it okay what do you say the is the future of photography Hmm. (laughs) 
You know, I mean, I think cameras are just getting better and better and better. And so we're really going to be able to do so much more with photography. Like maybe I will be able to get what I consider high quality astro in a single photo someday because cameras will be so great. Mm. Um, So I think there's a bright future. I mean, some people would say, oh, well, the cameras on phones are getting better. So everyone's going to be taking photos. But I kind of see it the other way around. Like, you know, in order to really create great photos, you need to be intentional about it, no matter how good your camera is. So I think by having better cameras, it's going to give us even more opportunities to capture even better things that we couldn't even dream of capturing before. Mm -hmm. Where do you where do you see the place of uh, AI in photography? There's a lot of hype around the ability to chuck a few words at a uh, a computer and it generates an image. Do you, and I've seen people doing combinations of photography and AI. Do you, do you see threats from, from that in any way? I don't really see it as a threat. I see it as another art form, you know, kind of like, you know, I think paint t- painters kind of were scared of photography, sure. but a painting is different from a photograph. And so I think it's the same way with AI. It's just another art form that, you know, is coming around, but I don't think it will, you know, make photography less or not as good. Um, There's always space for new art forms. Mm -hmm. I I, I agree to a certain extent. There's, I, I think, Probably in the realm of some of the commercial photography, I, I think there's risks there for commercial photographers. So, you know, let's say, uh, you know, a large uh, cola manufacturer, for example, wants um, some product shots. They could just say, all right, a, a, a green can with a certain logo, et cetera, et cetera, and uh, produce their own, you know, lit a certain way produce their own work without referring to a ph- photographer. They could they could just type some words in and, you know, the, the computer may spit some stuff out for them. But I think beyond that, I don't I don't see it impacting. And I, I agree with you in terms of uh, particularly landscapes. You know, yeah, I, th- I think there'll be some very interesting mixes and blends of the, the two art forms. Uh, it'll be an interesting space to watch though. Yeah, yeah, it will be. And I see what you're saying about like product photography and things like that. Um, but yeah, as far as like as an art form, um, I think that there's space for both, but yes. Yeah, I, I think the human element in yeah. the art form is never gonna disappear. Um, <laughs> you know, human creativity is gonna continue uh, regardless of what happens, unless the you know our, our robot overlords uh, come and crush the the species, you know? <laughs> <laughs> which I think is is a possibility too, but you know <laughs> that, that might be a little little way off. <laughs> hopefully, <laughs> if you weren't a photographer, what would you be? I'd probably just still be a computer programmer, <laughs> 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 which is what I did before I started photography. Um, mm. So, yeah, I mean, I liked doing that as well. So, yeah. And what do you like to do when you're not shooting or, or creating? Um, 
Well, I mean, a lot of my time is taken up by, you know, planning my photos and thinking about what I want to photograph. Mm. But in other time, I like to hang out with my family. Um, I have two daughters and a husband and my dogs. I have two dogs. Um, And I mean, my favorite is to hang out with them and go on a trip photographing so that I can have the best of both worlds, but I can't always do that. Um, I like current events. I watch the news and um, I like to read, listen to music. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I have a lot of things I like to do. I don't really watch TV or anything like that. I try to, you know, I mean, except for the news, I try and focus it on other things, but um, I like to eat. Food is probably one of my favorite things, um, especially at nice restaurants. Um, so, yeah. Very nice. Very nice. <laughs> We've all got our inspirational uh, photographers out there. Who do you have that's inspiring you at the moment that uh, you think I should be talking to? Okay. Um well, one of my biggest inspirations is Mark Adamus. I mentioned oh. that I did a workshop with him. And I think maybe, have you already spoken to him? No, not yet. Oh, he's, oh, okay. he's on my list. <laughs> okay. Um, so, you know, my style is very different from his. I mean, there's some similarities, uh, but just he's very inspirational and he's a great teacher. Um, so a lot of what I've learned, I've learned from him. Um, so he's a big inspiration. And then I also really love um, Michael Shane Bloom's photography. Um, his is a huge inspiration for my photography. Um, and he does more time lapses now as well, yeah. which is also an interesting aspect. Um, so right now, those are probably the two who have been inspiring and influencing me the most. All right. Fantastic. Thank you for that. I've got one more question for you. And uh, for many of my listeners, it's the most important one I can ask you. Do you like pineapple on pizza? Um, I don't order it, but if I were hungry and that were the only pizza, I would eat it. I'm I'm with you on that. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you very much for uh, taking the time out to talk to me today. Uh, It's been really wonderful getting to know you a little bit better and learning more about what you do. Where can people find your work? Okay. Well, um, I have my website, which is uh, photographybyarwin.com, and that's where I sell my prints. Um, But if you want the overview of all of my photos, um, Instagram is the best place to look, which is rwin.l. Um, and the reason is because I put more photos on there than anywhere else. Um, you know, it's only some of those that make it as a print uh, to my website. And then um, if you want to see like my latest work, you can, you know, follow me on Twitter because I tweet a lot of my latest work there. Yeah. Um, but Twitter and it, I mean, it's easier to see it in a gallery format on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. This was great. Thanks again for listening to Landscape Photography World. I hope you enjoyed the show and keep listening because I'll be joined by some great guests in upcoming episodes. You can find my work in this podcast 
at grantswinburnphotography.com. I'm also on Vero, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. I'm Grant Swinburne. Hope to see you out shooting soon. Thank you.